1: and welcome to today's In Conversation with podcast. I'm Georgie Corrigal, the founder and editor of Sherlux, and today I'm joined by Sherlux's Homes and Interiors editor and mother of two, Georgina Blasky. Also by Lalo's ambassador, Cameron Longtail, and by Relationship Therapist, Claire Faulkner. We're going to be chatting all about sex and specifically how to broach this often still taboo topic with your children. From the best age to start the conversation to explaining consent, we thought it would be helpful to tackle this like quite difficult topic as a parent together. Welcome ladies. Lovely to have you with us today. Thank you. Nice to be here. Could it be useful just to go around and just explain what age our children are at um I'll start with me uh, so mine are four nine and ten so I'd say with my 10 year old this is territory that we're kind of getting into so I am literally all ears and I'm going to be taking notes so that's me Georgina your children are
2: I've got a daughter who's 15 and a son who's about to turn 13.
1: Cameron you've got a lot of boys in your life I do
3: I've got four boys 17 12 and 11 year old twins
1: wow all boys four boys yes you're very loved I always think I that. am the queen
3: of the castle
1: <laughs> Claire, hello. What Hi. I-
4: I've got a four-year-old daughter and a six-year-old son and then I've got two older teenage stepdaughters who are 15 and nearly 18
1: Okay, so I guess the first question is, we've got lots of ages between us, what age should you start talking about sex to your children? I, it's really hard on that, isn't it? Cameron, I'm going to start yeah, with you. Yeah,
0: um,
3: so I've always been a person that's very been very open and honest about being naked in the house, about educating my kids about correct anatomical body parts. We didn't really use any funny sort of names for our body parts. So I think it was always sort of an organic thing and from potty training all the way up to now, but really when I started talking about it, it was about 10. I felt like 10 was the perfect age where they're still in their innocence and questioning it, but they're going into sort of a different phase of their life where you can actually sit down and... They're not naive. They know where babies come from, obviously. And they know about sex because it's kind of everywhere in front of them. You can't really hide it or sequester it. And I don't think it's healthy to either. I have six years between my oldest and my second and my twins. So Jericho was so stable and secure in his knowledge of sex at the time. then then his brothers just kind of followed suit. He sort of taught them as well and followed, followed the lead. And that's kind of how we've done
1: it. Did you sit Jericho down or did he come to you and say, I need to know about this?
3: Because of the industry I've worked in my whole life, which is the sexual wellness industry, there's always been things lying around my house. There's always been condoms. There's always been vibrators. There's always been sexual, like, whips and chains. <laughs> I know that sounds weird, but there's always been these things, like, around, around my house. And when he'd go to trade shows with me, and he, it was just kind of commonplace to understand what that was. And then, you know, uh, it's more moving into the teenager stage. I want to hear what the other moms have to say first about like what they're teaching them because then it's a whole other set because just over the past, since he was 16, it's been a whole other conversation, which is completely different than the one I had with him when he was 10. And the ones that I'm having with the twins now. I mean, for example, even Enzo this morning, my youngest twin said, mom what's 69. And I was like, Jesus Christ. I look at Luke. I said it's a number, and Enzo goes, No, it's a sexual position. And I was like, Okay, you know what? Let's just put a pin in that and we'll talk about it when I get home tonight. And that's fine. And now it's in my head. I'm like, Right. I need to go get a Kama Sutra book. I've got to go get this Chinese position books. Like, you know, and then you show them all, this is 69 and this is pleasure. And then I think, God, they're just 11. But they're in secondary school now, and it's all just there. So much noise that you have to kind of filter through it. Wow,
1: wow, wow. Okay, there's so yeah. much there to come back to. Yeah. I'm like dying at the thought of you having to get home tonight and explain what a 69 is. Claire, Just when did you start having this conversation?
4: similar oh. to Cameron. I mean, my, as my children are four and six. So there has always been an open dialogue. And with children that young, what has been age appropriate is to call cool their genitals by their anatomical name. And what's interesting when you talk to friends, that's not vagina. It's a vulva that my little four year old can see. So she has a vulva and my son has a penis. And that has been very easy for me to discuss sort of working in this field more challenging for my husband and what's interesting is I know that I'm certainly a minority amongst friends or kind of you know babysitters nannies that sort of thing but we know that research has shown that when we use correct anatomical language the child grows up with a more positive sexual development yeah well,
1: Gina, I think it was you on the podcast once that told me off for calling it a front bottom and a back bottom
4: Yeah, that's not
2: the way to go, Georgie. So we had a talk at school and um, the parents, normally it's the kids having the talks. This time it was the parents. And the biggest takeaway for me, this was when they were probably around five, six, seven, eight, that sort of age. And they said, you've just got to use the right words. And so we always have. And then two days ago, my son, as I said, pushing 13, started talking to me about something, something, my privates. And I said, you don't have privates. That's someone in the army. You have a penis. Oh, and you great. have that's one. balls. And that's, that's what we're talking about, isn't it? What are your privates? And then obviously I said, look, they are yours. Of course, they're your private property. But let's not call them privates. It's a penis. Maybe he's just regressed a bit because he's now becoming a bit more self-conscious about these things because he's becoming a teenager. Whereas obviously when he was like eight, he didn't care. But anyway. It was a useful reminder of what you were just saying, Claire, about using the right words and kind of I feel like it demystifies the whole subject and that taboo
4: feeling. Yeah, it takes away the shame. And I think you know an important point to consider is that there's anecdotal evidence, again, you know, that kids that use the, the correct words are less likely to be preyed on by predators.
3: Yeah. Really?
4: Because they're not wow. protected. By that oh that's interesting and that if something happens it will happen once
1: i listened to a podcast with vanessa kirby you know who was in uh, the crown and played princess margaret and she talked about sex and growing up in a really open household and how powerful that had been and how you know her parents talked openly i mean i don't think they announced their own sex lives but as in they talked about sex in the house and it wasn't this like secret private thing and it had A massively positive impact on her as a woman and I just thought it was so interesting and I guess you guys are all agreeing with that I think I need to go back to biology and learn what is what because I'm not calling it a vulva so uh (laughs) no me neither (laughs)
4: I think parents fear around it is that if they talk about it, it will somehow give them permission and they'll be doing it really young. I think that's the fear. But actually, again, evidence
3: shows that they are more likely to practice safe sex. Exactly. Exactly. What I was going to make that point. It's because I am open and honest mm. and and speak and talk about masturbation freely, how to use a condom, how to protect yourself about uh, STIs how to take care of your sexual health, which is just as important as taking care of your mental health, doesn't mean that I'm saying go out and do it. Mm -hmm. I'm saying you have now the tools and the education to go out and be the kind of partner that you want to be sexually and the kind of person and to make you also feel that you're a respectful, stable, sexual being on the planet. And with those tools, that's my job. That's my job as a mother to give them all these tools.
1: And we've got to man up and realize it's part of our choice. That's well, it. Can we talk about what the right age is? Just as a guide, and obviously everyone's different, but is there a guide where you're like, by this age you really should have like ripped the blaster off and
4: Well, yeah, of- I mean, I was thinking, just reflecting then at four and six, my children know that sperm is in my son's testicles and it they- comes out of his penis. And that's what makes a baby. And my daughter knows that she has ovaries and she has an egg and you know, how a baby grows. They haven't asked the question yet how it gets there but when they do the answer will come. I mean there's so many resources. WHO has a great pack online about ages. In fact I think they do naught to 4, 4 to 6, 6 to 9, 9 to 12 and within that information that they should know, the skills that they should have and the attitudes. So there's a lot of information and I think remembering it's about maturity as well as just the age some children are more mature than others so those conversations might happen at different times
1: what's your view on giving them books and things to read I mean I I got sent I think to work a book called why am I changing and I was moving house and I think it said you know this is great for sort of 10 year olds up and I think she was nine or something when I gave it to her but actually it brilliant and it's for parents of boys and girls and it covers like hormones and mood and i was like delighted and i and i kept getting like pushed on the questions and i gave her the book and she was like oh my god i know how you made me me but i was delighted not to actually have to sit her down and explain it what's your advice maybe that's totally wrong what's your advice have i totally burnt out
3: there's a couple books that i think are are nice for your age kids one's called the amazing you by dr gail saltz Both of these don't really sugarcoat it because that's what we don't want to do. We don't want to sugarcoat, especially nowadays. They're going to find out anyway with technology. So it's best that we are able to sort of filter that and navigate all of the information out there that they get. So this is a, a lovely book. And another one, it's called It's Perfectly Normal by Robbie Harris and Michael Emberley. It's an illustrated book. I would say that it's probably for 10 and up. Probably not a teen, like, I don't think my teenagers would really enjoy it. They they think it's a bit juvenile. But I think that these are two good resources to not sugarcoat it, to talk about anatomy, talk about the changing body, talk about kissing and how the feelings that you have, sexual feelings that you start to get. So these are two good resources.
1: Brilliant. I said I would be writing notes. I have genuinely written yes. those two down. Claire, are there w- any books that you recommend? How do you feel about doing it, you know, in person or for a book?
4: I think it's important that we aren't avoiding our discomfort around it. So maybe it's, you know, if the book feels like a, a useful resource, but it doesn't just stop there you know, it's so important that we don't pass our shame and embarrassment onto our kids, you know, and as the adults, it's for us to hold the awkward. So almost my response would be, you know, this isn't feeling comfortable. Let me go and do some work on my stuff so that I can have the conversation.
1: Yeah, so true. Georgina?
2: I actually found that the sort of stepping stone of what was happening in school was really useful. So they were having, is it PA? I I can't remember what the letters are, but for those lessons they have at school where they talk about kind of relationships and sex and puberty and there's sort of dedicated time in the school day. And if I knew they were having one of those, they would send us ahead of time what they'd be looking at so we as parents could consent to them attending. And that was really useful as a way of building on what they were already being taught. But I couldn't help but feel that Through things like social media, um, friends who had older siblings, that was a real way that they would be exposed maybe to perhaps a little bit more than I thought at times they were ready for but maybe I was wrong and actually I think all the chats that they have around puberty are great stepping stones naturally to talking about Sex and reproduction and how it happens, and forgetting all these terms like special cuddle and all of that stuff, which I really hate actually. Just trying to get to the nub of what you're talking about instead of dressing it up with all these confusing terms. So I think we have at times had conversations where we've been quite open about what actually happens during the act. But I feel that these are conversations that have just sort of happened in the car or taking the dog for a walk, or they've just sort of organically come up in conversation and, and then we've sort of moved on it hasn't yeah. been like a big oh let's schedule Saturday afternoon to all sit down and have a really big chat it, it's not really happened like that so I think it's been drip fed over time often led by them
1: that normalizes it and like letting a conversation evolve because it just happens yeah. to happen as opposed to as you say making it so intense and like it's a big thing you know it's part of everyday life and, and so you're normalizing it can we move on to pornography I mean you know is it inevitable that all children are going to watch it these days? I don't know. I'm not at that age. Claire?
4: Well, I mean, from a studies show that um, by nine, children have seen it um, intentionally, but it could be as young as six or really? seven. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And the worrying thing is that there was some research done by the NSPCC and 53% of boys and 39% of girls
3: think that porn's realistic. Yeah. I mean, I think my conversation about pornography is this. I mean, look, I love porn. Everybody loves a little bit of porn, right? It's, it, it is what it is. It's its been around forever. I go through their phones every two weeks, my kids' phones, because I just do a check randomly to check to see what what's going on and what they're watching, what they're not watching. And... It's pretty wholesome right now, what there? I mean, there's some like TikToks that I'm like, eh. but I think what the, the main thing that I'm teaching is that there's a difference between reality and performance. Be a sex worker is not a bad thing. And to understand that it is performance. You don't want to get rid of somebody's sexual imagination as well. If somebody has a kink or a fetish, you don't want to put the kibosh on that or weigh it down. I just told my son, I was like, it's not real for a woman to walk in and have 16 men with their dicks out and she services all of them. That's not reality. Mm-hmm. And if that is your reality, then we need to talk about that because that's performance, it's entertainment. And then we need to kind of discuss that further. It's a very layered conversation. And it's one that's sort of never going to end. I think the key point is like performance versus reality versus sensuality and respect
4: yeah and that it doesn't model healthy relationships you know and diversity and body image you know it's very narrow and of course I I suppose when you think about the porn industry it's like the normal movie industry there's lots of different films of different genres some are more closer to life potentially if everything's being processed externally we lose that mind-body connection internally you know we change the circuitry of the brain and potentially material might become kind of compulsive and I think I read one study that you know at first children are quite shocked um, when they see something but the more you watch it the more you desensitize that yeah that makes sense but having the conversation how does it make you feel like your friends watching it how does it make you feel what do you think the people in the movie are feeling so just getting them to question or to be curious about
1: Exactly, what's actually going on there. God, that's age nine, six and seven stat, God. Georgina, you discussed pornography with your children.
2: There was something in the newspaper one Saturday, uh, I think it was in the Times too, and it talked about, I think Claire just mentioned about this NSPCC report with the ages that children have watched pornography. And I read it and I was really, really shocked and said to my husband, nine, 10. I mean, we've got a, I think with this was actually in the middle of lockdown as well. So uh, the, you know, everyone was on their phones more than ever in their bedrooms, isolated from people. And I did kind of think, oh, this is a really nice kind of perfect opportunity for them to be watching God knows what upstairs. Although actually we've got so many kind of parental controls on things that to be honest, I think they would find it quite hard to break through and find. But I don't know with TikTok and other things how that works. But anyway, so we actually did open up the conversation. and But it, we came at it from the angle of this isn't real. This is not lovemaking. These are two people who are being paid yeah. to act out a scene of having sex. And sometimes that could be a situation where a, a woman is being really objectified and, and taken advantage of and it, she is not getting pleasure. And there's obviously this whole side then when you get into the consent argument and the way that people in that industry are treated. And we, we talked about it, but it it was kind of from that angle, I suppose, Mm. as opposed to using porn for your own pleasure.
1: And you also de-glamorize it, don't you? So I think like it sounds like the way you did it it kind of took any, veneer off it and
2: yeah, yeah I think so we were like there's probably 10 people in the room you know they're really cold someone's waiting with a dressing gown you know it's really not all sexy at all but then yeah. you know I also know that lots of people enjoy porn and I don't want to then say therefore it's really bad and you shouldn't watch it because you know who knows I don't want to give them shame around it either so I think it, it can feel quite tricky in the moment when you're stuck in that conversation you're thinking I'm treading water now I'm not really sure where I'm going but yeah I just I don't know I feel at least now we've had some sort of conversation that we can go back to
4: yeah And I think, you know, it's also important that we can name that to our kids. This is a really tricky conversation. This is really uncomfortable. I'm doing something that our family have never done before. You know, this is new stuff. And even when we understand, for me, even though I understand from a professional point of view, that doesn't mean that it's not awkward. And I think naming that and, you know, let's explore
1: this together, this Mm -hmm. difficult subject. I think like showing a bit of vulnerability as a parent is... Not a disaster. No, not at
2: all. Actually, I have a question. You know that show, I mean, it's it's almost pornographic, but it's not. Um, sex education. Yeah. So my daughter approached it, she's 15 and a half, and she said to me, Oh, lots of my friends have watched it. I haven't watched it. And it's clearly an 18 rating. And I watched the first season, and I said, Well, okay, maybe maybe we can watch it together. And then if you've got any questions, or if that's too embarrassing, you can watch it and then I can talk to you about it afterwards. I mean is that the right way to go with a show like that? I assume you guys have seen it.
3: I think it's a brilliant show.
2: It is a brilliant show. It is a it brilliant show. It's, it's a great way, I think, of getting into those conversations. It does.
3: Jer- Jericho's already seen it. He's like, it's great. It's great. I, I think 15, yeah, it's a okay. perfect time. Okay. Yeah. I mean. I'd rather that rather that than porn. <laughs> well I was just thinking when I was 15 I mean I was already masturbating I bought my first vibrator when I was 16 I think also that goes back to culture I grew up in northern California I didn't grow up in in England and um very sort of open like this and and then uh, but the, and it's sex is also so cultural and you've got to teach your children these things as well. A lot of my kids' friends are Somalis, Nigerians, Jamaicans. My kids are biracial. So they date everybody under the sun. Jericho's last girlfriend was a beautiful Nigerian girl, strict, strict Christian family. And having to talk to him about that and how to do that, I'm kind of going off subject. But I think that 15, 16, if you don't know about sex, by then or I think that you're going to have a hard time they need to know or it's, or it's doing them a disservice again completely my yeah. opinion
1: knowledge is power where do you all stand on your own sexual activity and how much you share or don't with your children because it's one thing you know having the station of this is how it works this, this is pleasure this is making babies this is whatever how much do you talk about yourself Cameron I'm going to start with you
3: there's been a few times that they've walked in on us and to me it was just really okay and they just kind of know and then they then they walk away. Um, there's one time when my son walked on, uh, in on me when I was using a toy on my own in the bathtub. He just looked and then kind of just walked away and I was thinking right this is my time. I didn't lock the door which just my fault. This was my time for self-love and to explain, he didn't ask, but I also just felt that I did feel not shame at all, but I did feel awkward and I just had to explain again, then that's what led us into this masturbation conversation about how important it is to have that positive interaction with yourself, by yourself, however you'd like to do it for relaxation, for blood circulation. I, of course, i mentioned all the health aspects of it. I think they, they started to understand that what I don't think that they understand is it's different because I don't have a penis. They're like, how does that work? I think for them, they just see me as somebody that has a period because they see me bleed every month and had babies. I don't think they see the vulva or the vagina or anything. The clitoris is something that's pleasurable. That's something that it it, it's not like their penis where they can touch.
1: You're Saying you do share, you are open about your own activity,
3: yeah, very, very. And, and my situation is different because their dad and I live together and we parent together, but we're not together, so I'm in a completely different situation. It's very interesting,
1: Claire. How do you feel? Do you is your own sex life something you, you share with them or you don't?
4: I'm not there, I'm not yet, but I was thinking in terms of so my daughter was born at home just next to where our bed is so we talk about that you know for me what's important is about being a myth breaker rather than maker so when the conversations come up it will be an avenue a little bit like Georgie said you know you take these opportunities when they arise and that's your opportunity for discussion so it hasn't come up yet but I imagine that there will be open dialogue if and when it does if that makes sense.
1: Georgina, I'm not going to put you on the spot. You're not an ambassador for LELO or a relationship expert, but do you feel like some things are are private? Yeah,
2: 100%. I'm sorry, I do. I mean, you can stick me back into the 1950s if you want. But I just feel like I'm happy to talk to him about sex, masturbation, consent, anything. But my son has asked me if I'm having sex with his father and how often. And I said, That is my private life because I will talk to you about sex. I'll talk to you about anything, but I do feel that there is a part of me that's a mother. There's a part of me that's a career woman and there is a part of me that is a wife. And I don't feel that everybody is entitled to every part of me. And I don't believe my children's understanding of sex and relationships is necessarily enhanced by knowing how many times a week I am having sex. Yeah. Yeah. so for me I just feel like yeah. everyone's different but that's just how, no, how that's, I feel that's... and I had the direct question and I gave my very direct answer said my sex <laughs> life my sex life is not yours to know about <laughs> but I'm happy to talk to you about sex yeah I think that's so The yeah. honoring
4: that that um, yeah. privacy yeah. as well and,
1: and frankly you know perhaps not to the women and it shouldn't be something you're ashamed of but it is intimate and it, it is something between two people it doesn't need to be between whole family. (laughs) Everyone's different. So, you know, I I think I'm so pro the conversation and God, I'm learning so much from you all. But yeah, I'm kind of, I'm with you. Let's move on to masturbation. God, that's not a conversation that I'm particularly looking forward to having even less so than the birds and the bees, which sounds so dated to say that out loud. Cameron?
3: I think masturbation came really quite easy because I think first of all, we talked about, this was Jericho and I would say he was about almost 13 when I started talking to him about, because, I, you know, he was in the toilet a long time, you know, and he had his phone with him and he was in the toilet and he wasn't going to the bathroom and he'd come out and his cheeks would be a little bit flushed, you know? And I was like, all right, the tissues, like the sticky tissues were in the garbage can. <laughs> I was like, okay dokey So I sat him down. and I just straight up said, are you beginning to, to masturbate? Because at that point, like Georgina said, he already took the personal development classes, all of these things. So he was starting to understand it. Plus with, you know, me constantly talking about it, that it's okay. And starting to just become explorative, which is great. But I said, look, there's there's things that you need to know about it, that it is your time. Yeah. You don't do this in front of anybody except for partner, of course, later on. That's another conversation. So this is your time. But always just make sure you're hygienic. You make sure that you have clean hands. Make sure that you, if something were to happen, make sure that your sheets are washed and go for it. I'm not going to delve into like, what are you thinking about? What, what, Like, it's not, that's like not my business, but it was just more about the hygiene part and that it stays with you and that is your thing and you don't need to share it with your brothers. You don't need to share it with your friends unless you want to. And then that was it. And I think then you just kind of, took it from there okay
1: claire um what you add to that i mean four and six
3: i think you know just
4: normalizing that this is a a place that can feel really sensitive it can feel really exciting it's a beautiful thing and it's something you do in private so sort of the private versus public space i think is important just that they can understand you go to your bedroom enjoy shut the door just so that we all know especially if children were to share a bedroom tell each other but we need some yes. private space yeah. and that might be something you do at that time. Or you might be playing Lego. <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's just about that public versus private.
1: Georgina, masturbation. Is that a conversation you found easy to have? Is it one you've had? I wouldn't say it's one that
4: particularly has been
2: had in a very specific way. I gave my daughter a book by Bryony Gordon and there is a chapter in it about masturbation and how she was in the swimming pool when she was about 12 or 13. And she kind of felt the jet of water Mm -hmm. that when she was on the side and it kind of was propelled towards her and she suddenly felt sort of stimulated by this. And that was her first experience as she then talks about you know, the positive side of masturbation and how it's not something to be ashamed of. And I kind of, a bit like you, Georgie, sort of went, oh, look, this book's got a really interesting chapter here. And I kind of left that with her. And she kind of said to me, oh, I'm not, this was a few years ago. She was like, I'm not sure I, I want to read that chapter yet. And I went, okay, fine. Well, it's there when you do. I suppose I did slightly chicken out. I think it's more, it's a really interesting contrasting conversation with, with my son, because although he's approaching 13, some of his friends are, have already turned 13. And there seems to be a sort of jokey banterness about amongst boys that age about erections, having the sock by the bed, these sort of terms he'll kind of throw out there to almost gauge what my reaction will be, to wonder if, how far he's able to go in the conversation. That's the sort of feeling I'm having at the moment, but he hasn't actually asked me directly any specific questions about it.
1: Can we Can we talk about consent? I mean, it's it's such an important thing. How do we empower our daughters? Educate our sons. I mean, how do you approach it with your sons, Cameron? It's a good good question.
3: I think because of the whole Me Too movement, and women are very empowered these days. And there are so many rules that boys and men have to face. Like if they can't even touch you without, you know, you don't know what's going to be at somebody's trigger, and you want to be respectful within that. But then there's also an art of, you know, banter and flirting and these kind of things that get lost in that. So I talk to them all the time. Jericho's definitely straight. So we talk, I always say to him, how you treat me is how you should treat your, your girlfriend or your partner. And he is absolutely lovely, just respectful and kind and giving and very sexual, sexually, he talked to me about his first experience. And I said, you don't have to go into too much detail, but um, he was just like, it was really, really lovely. I was like, you know what? That's good. This is really good. I said, is she happy? And um, when he broke up with her, I said, he did it in a way I didn't like very much. And I did sit him down. I said, is she okay? I mean, you're her first. So please, you need to understand, like, this is a big deal. This is going to stay with her for her whole life. So you can't just be like, "Talk to you Thursday." It's not like that. <laughs> and I wouldn't have known about it. She and she just said, "You know, Jericho and I are Jericho's not making me feel comfortable." And I read it. And I was like, "All right, darling, like I've got you covered." Like, Jericho, get down here. <laughs> Sat down. I was like, "This is not right." So. I think they get it. I mean, they absolutely get it. And if they even talk out of place with me, even just a little bit, I know this is really not really consent, but it's how to speak to, to people as well. I just say, no, 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 no. Say it in, in another way. Talk to me like this mm-hmm. and how you talk to your teachers and that's how you speak to me and how you speak to the girls on the street and everything. So you just got to teach them young. I think because their father is a really uh, respectful man. Um, and also teaches about women and consent and all of these things. I think they've got it from both ends. He is very respectful mm. to me, toward me, and respectful towards his mother, his sister, the general public. So they, ju- I think, I mean, we just lead by example, really, is what it is.
1: Mm. I think mean, that that role model from a father yes. and how, yeah, has a huge... Part to play Claire, what would you add to what Cameron said around consent and yeah it's about respect really isn't
4: it I to podcast, a podcast where the girl called Cassie Blake and she was talking about her MSc research and she she talked to a load of students about their sex education she brought the topic of consent and they said yeah yeah we learned about rape and I think that's really interesting that we think of consent at that end Whereas, you know, I'm teaching consent now with a four and six year old in terms of, you know, is your fun fun for everyone? Do they like that touch? You know, what is what's happening kind of in in that moment? Is that something that feels good? And I think, again, at this age, or I from my experience, kind of give auntie so and so a hug, but actually you don't want to. And being taught, oh, you'll hurt their feelings. Just give them a hug. You know, that mixed message, if I'm going to put myself down or bracket myself and just do what I'm told. So consent is so much more, you know, than getting to that stage of rape. And of course it can change. You know, we can consent to one thing in that moment, but it evolves, it changes. No, I don't like that. So I think modelling to our children outside the bedroom. So, for example, when we don't want to go to a party, we say no. We don't just force ourselves to do the things that we don't want to do because they're watching and learning. You know, mummy does all of these things for other people. So really modeling that from a young age so that they
3: mm. can say no. That's such a good point, Claire, that, yeah, give them a hug, like at Christmas time, Thanksgiving. And they're just like, Ugh. And I remember that feeling also. I just didn't want to give my uncle a hug. I didn't want to sit next to him. Nothing happened. just didn't want to but But you're right it's and you forget about that feeling don't
1: you Georgina consent is that something you've chatted about
2: yeah actually just before I've got my daughter's off sick at the moment so I just popped up to her bedroom to ask her if she had any thoughts on this topic and she said actually I follow a really good person on Instagram called teach us consent and it's a young woman I think she's Australian and she goes around schools in the UK at the moment. And it's just talking to boys and girls about consent and about um, what the lines are. And obviously different people have different boundaries. And I think even just recognizing that, that what one person's okay with is not what someone else is okay with. So that was her little input. But also I've tried to say things to my son, if he's kind of, you know, how siblings are physical sometimes. And, you know, just like, oh, your sister's told you to stop it now. You need to listen to that. She said... Stop, and I'm not trying to get all heavy. Like she said, stop. So if you're ever with a girl and they say stop, you know, like I'm just trying to gently. He, she said stop, so you need to back off straight away. I remember the first time both of them went on a overnight school trip, I kind of said, you know, you're away from mummy and daddy, and you're going to be with some people we don't know, and just remember that it's your body, and if it's your, you know, and I felt a bit awkward, but it was just kind of trying to say something like. Just, if you ever feel that someone is touching you in a way you don't like, that is not okay. And you need to go and tell your teacher. And nothing did happen, but it was more just that first time that they were going to be without me, with other adults that perhaps I hadn't met. And it kind of occurred to me as they got out of the car and I sort of blurted this thing out, which was probably really stupid. But I wish I'd had that, maybe try to have that conversation with them sooner in a more appropriate way.
3: I like the way you did it, Georgina. Well done, mama. Oh,
1: thank you. <laughs> a little bit clumsy, <laughs> but thank you, Georgina. You're full of uh, wise words. In fact, you all are, ladies. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have honestly sat here and written notes. There's uh, Instagram accounts to follow, books to buy, and yeah, it's empowering. Write the plaster off have the conversations. Yes. Thank you, Claire. Thank you, Cameron. Thank you, Georgina. That's it for this week. If you enjoyed that, then. Do please tell your friends to listen to, rate, review, subscribe, and uh, we'll be back soon. Thank you very much. Bye
0: bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh.